It was 13 years ago on an Easter. It would have been Garland and Virginia's 12th wedding anniversary. But one month before that, Garland had died. He was 81 years old. They're a very active couple in the church. They were wonderful people. And as soon as I heard about Garland's death, I I called to see how Virginia was doing. We visited about uh, Garland and their life. And finally I said to her, tell me, how did the two of you meet? And Virginia said, well, it was back in 1988. I wanted to go to my 50th high school reunion. But I was single. I didn't want to feel like a third wheel. I didn't want to go and just feel alone and out of place. And so I didn't want to go. And yet I really did want to go see my friends. And yet I was afraid of being alone. And yet I really did want to go. And she said I just kept struggling back and forth until finally I decided, all right, I'm going to do it. And so she went to the reunion. She said, I, I got there and everyone was kind of out in the narthex. It was kind of the cocktail hour. Get registered, get your name tag, start seeing your friends. And it was great fun. She said, I, I saw a group of friends that I really had known and we started laughing and talking and I decided I'm going to hang with them. And I knew it was going to be okay. Everything was going to be just fine. I was going to hang with them for the rest of the night. And so we're talking and laughing and they finally opened the doors to the banquet hall and said, everybody go in and get you a seat for dinner now. And just as we were walking into that banquet hall, suddenly some other friends hollered, Virginia, Virginia, come over here. And so I stopped for a minute and I went over to go visit with them. And so we started talking and they kept talking, they kept talking and everybody had gone into the banquet hall and finally I said, we need to go in and get a seat. And they said, oh, we're not staying for dinner. We just wanted to say hi. We're out of here. And suddenly she said, they left. And I was standing there all alone. The very thing I didn't want to have happen, that's what happened. I was now standing there all alone. She said, I took a deep breath and I walked into this banquet hall. I looked around. I didn't see any empty seats. Finally, I saw one table off at the back and There was one seat. I didn't really know the people, but I walked over to the table and I said, is this seat taken? No, no, join us. She said, I sat down beside a man named Garland. It turned out I knew him from back in high school, but I didn't ever really hang out with him. I didn't really know him. Hadn't seen him in 50 years. But we sat and we began to talk and we visited and it was really a lovely evening. It was such a good evening that, well, uh, next day I got a phone call. And that phone call led to another phone call. And several phone calls finally led to a date. And eight months later, we were married. These last 12 years, she said, have been such wonderful years. We've made such good memories. We've had so much fun. We have laughed. Our love has been a special love. And then she paused. She got quiet and then she said, You know, Bob, you never know what surprises God has in store for you. I sometimes think about how would my life have gone if I hadn't gone to the party. I call that a grace moment. Those moments when God has surprises in store for you. Surprises that you would never expect. The last thing you would expect. That really is the message of Easter. God's surprise for you. 
When you find yourself in the darkest of nights in your life, you find a a ray of light. When you find yourself hopeless and lost, you suddenly discover a path that goes forward. When you find yourself tired, grieving, you find a strength from beyond yourself and a sense of peace. It is the surprise of Easter, the good news that God wants to help you have a resurrection, the gift of new life now and life eternal. It was a surprise on that very first Easter to the women. I mean, the women were not expecting anything exciting about that morning, but they got up to go to the tomb. No, actually, they were worried about many things. I mean, first and foremost, who was going to roll the stone away? I mean, Jesus had been crucified on Friday. They got his body down just as the sun was going down. They barely had time to lay his body in the tomb. There was no time to prepare the body for burial. Saturday was the Sabbath. You do not work on the Sabbath. And so it was first light at dawn on Sunday morning. They went to the tomb. The last thing they expected to find was the stone rolled away. But the stone was rolled away and they went into the tomb and there they found it empty. There were two men sitting inside and they got a message they never expected to hear. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Well, because we were looking for the dead. We know he was dead. We saw him laid here. We weren't looking for the living. It was the surprise message of Easter, the last thing you would ever expect to hear. And yet that surprise, the message of Easter turns everything upside down. It changes it all. This morning, I I want to conclude this sermon series, Made for Goodness. Through this whole season of Lent preparing for today, we have been looking at this issue, how we have been created in the image of God. And if you and I have been created in the image of God and we know that He is risen it means that we too will find new life now and forever. Because He lives, we too shall live because you are made for goodness. Easter, with all of its mystery and wonder and awe, has so much message for us. And this morning I want us to take a moment and just look at two aspects of the message of Easter that resonates with our soul because you're made for goodness. First of all, For the disciples, they never expected on that first Easter, it was an incredible surprise that they would hear a message of God's mercy. The women went to the tomb. And when they went to the tomb, they heard the message that He is risen. Now go tell His disciples. And He wants to see them in Galilee where He told you ahead of time. Now I know the disciples had to be excited. He is risen. But the disciples also had to be a little anxious. He is risen, and He knows exactly what we just did. He knows we denied Him. He knows we ran away. I mean, Jesus looked at Peter right after He denied Him the third time. Now we're going to have to go meet Him? He's alive? Have you ever thought about it? Haven't you ever had that moment when you did something wrong, and then your parents find out? And now you know that your parents know and you're going to have to go and confront them about the thing you did wrong? Put yourself in the disciples' place. It's great news. He is risen. 
Oh no, he is risen. He knows what we did. He knows how we denied him. And now we're going to have to go confront him. And what they discovered was not condemnation, but the gift of God's mercy. What they discovered was mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting what God wants to give to you. And what God wants to give to you is relationship with God. That's what God wants for you, relationship with God, for you to know what it means to be forgiven, to be loved unconditionally, to be brought back into relationship with one in God. It's the gift of God's mercy. And because you're made in God's image, that resonates with your soul. You know, here at St. Luke's, we've really been trying to work hard through the years to find ways to us to be able to relate to other people of other faiths, not just Methodists, to reach out to people, whether they're Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, but also to reach beyond that, to try to establish meaningful relationships and create understanding with those who are Jews and Muslims. Because, you know, the world is different than when I grew up 50 years ago. 50 years ago, when I was a kid growing up in Houston, I didn't know any Jews. I didn't know any Muslims. No, the big deal was the girl across the street from me was Catholic, and she was my best friend. And we weren't supposed to go to each other's churches. But I didn't know Jews and Muslims. But the world has changed now. It's changed dramatically. And we've tried to work so hard to say, can we create an understanding among these Abrahamic faiths? Stories that we share in common, though we are different, what do we know together? Because of these efforts, I've had the opportunity to get to know a man named Imad Inchansi. Imad is the president of the Islamic um, Society in Greater Oklahoma City. And we've worked together on a number of things. And I found that he and I certainly believe you're called to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're called to promote understanding and kindness and love among different peoples. But it was not long ago, I was at a, a meeting where Imad was being honored and and I learned some more of Ahmad's story that I didn't know. But it really helped me to understand now some of the things that he has done. What I learned was that Ahmad was really born in Lebanon back in 1964. He grew up there and he mainly grew up in a, in a refugee camp right outside of Beirut. There were so many wars that were going on and struggles that were happening. That's where he spent most of his days growing up was in a refugee camp. And he explained that when he was growing up in this camp where things were so hard and people were hungry and it was tough, every day there was this Catholic nun who came, Sister Rachma, which literally means Sister Mercy. She came every day, he said, with a cross and a smile and a hug. She would wipe my tears, she would feed me when I was hungry. She would comfort me when I was afraid. She hugged me so I felt loved. It was in her arms that he said, I learned the stories of Jesus and of Mary and of the love of God. He grew up there in the refugee camp. And when he was a teenager, about 18, 19 years old, he was there in the Sabra Chantilla refugee camp when a Christian militia came along. Some men who had been recruited out of the Maronite Lebanese Catholic Church to come and to attack these refugees. September the 16th, 1982, 
For the next three days, a massacre went on. 1,800 people would be killed. Imad would be hiding in what was like a chimney, afraid for his life, hearing the screams, hearing the cries. And those who were perpetrating the crime were doing it and hollering, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Mary, in the name of God. And they took the blood and painted a cross on the wall. He said they were invoking the same name that I was invoking. But I'd come to know a different God through Sister Mercy. He managed to survive. And when he survived, he wrestled with all that he had seen and heard and decided, you know, the way forward is not through revenge and hatred and retaliation. No, Sister Mercy had taught him better than that. And so in 1983, he immigrated to the United States. He ultimately came here to Oklahoma City. And when he came here, he started a worshiping congregation there for Muslims. Twenty-seven people came. Today they worship over a thousand. He's worked so very hard throughout the community to try to say, how does it mean to say we understand each other and live together and, and show love for one another? It was really amazing in 2007... The Lady of Lebanon Maronite Catholic Church was started down in Norman. And they have a beautiful building. It's a wonderful congregation that is now worshiping there. But Father Chaya, when he came and he found out about Ahmad and how he had been there at Sabre Chantilla, he called him. And he said, can we meet? They met at an IHOP down in Moor. And when the father came in and met Iman, though he had done nothing wrong personally, he, he asked for forgiveness for what had happened. And of course, Imad offered mercy. And the two men decided to work together with the congregation there from the, uh, the Maronite Catholic Lebanese Church and Norman and the Muslims of Oklahoma City to come together to try to respond to the tornadoes of Moore. How can we work together to bless the needs of people and to be there to care. What a wonderful example of saying, we're going to do this together. It helped me understand better what Imad had tried to do. Because, you know, when he started the mosque here in Oklahoma City, he called it Mercy Mosque. And then when they started a school, they now have a school from pre-K through 12th grade, certified by the state. They named it Mercy School. And they have a foundation that is, reaches out to help people who are in need, and they know it as Mercy Foundation. And he now is an associate professor at Oklahoma City University in Islamic Studies, and the chair has been endowed, and it's the Mercy Chair of Islamic Studies. I now understood that what Imad was trying to do was to say, all that I've given my life to is because of a Catholic nun. Sister Mercy, who came each day with her cross and a smile and a hug and taught me about God's love for all people. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was crucified, there were no calls for rev revolution or retribution? No, in spite of what had happened, Jesus called his disciples together and gave them mercy, forgiveness and an unconditional love and said, if you're going to be to my disciples, I want you to go out into the world and to share God's mercy and love with all. 
When you do that, it resonates with your soul. I'm telling you, it feels good. When you overcome prejudice and anger and hatred and want retaliation, when we go out and show the mercy that we have received, it feels good because you're made in the image of God. You were made for goodness. It is interesting. When you think about the Roman Empire, it was built with forces and armies, and it is gone. The Ottoman Empire was built with great armies, and it is gone. Through hundreds of years, empires have come built on force and might, and they have all fallen away. But it's the kingdom of God, built on His love, that continues to grow. We are a part of building the kingdom of God when we show mercy. For love never dies. Secondly, it seems to me that the surprise, the, uh, the message these women never expected to hear was, He's alive. He's alive. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's because He lives that we too will live. Because we're made in the image of God, we've come to understand there's a part of us that longs to be at one with God. And that happens finally and fully when you and I die and we are born again into the kingdom of God, where one day we will know Christ and those that we love. It is the message of Easter. A message so full of mystery, a message so full of of so deep, profound things, they are hard to put into words, and yet our soul knows them. You know, it was last week, April the 16th, was the first anniversary of my mom's death. You know how close I was to my mom. She was an amazing influence on my life. We really had such a good time together. Mom had Alzheimer's, and it's been a slow, slow time. For several years, I've not been able to talk to mom for us to be able to communicate. But I have to tell you, it's been kind of strange. Now that mom died, I find that I miss her more than ever before. Even though we really hadn't been able to communicate for several years, I find I miss her more than ever before. So many times I'm wanting to tell her about this exciting thing or this thing I'm concerned about. If you've lost somebody that you love, Easter is a far more important day. You understand it in a different way. Because you understand that longing to one day know God and to know those that you love. And isn't it interesting? It's like your soul knows it. And yet sometimes your scientific part of your mind, that thinking part of your mind starts going, is it really possible? Can it really be? How would it happen? You start asking all those questions. How? And yet the message seems so real. Remember last year I told you a lot about Dr. Eben Alexander, he wrote a book entitled Proof of Heaven. It's a fascinating story because Eben Alexander, if you remember, he was a neurosurgeon. And he grew up, um, it turned out that he was adopted when he was just a baby. His mom was 16 years old. She was a sophomore in high school. His father was a senior in high school. They both wanted to go to college. They'd had dreams for the future. They could not afford to raise a baby. And so they decided to give the baby up for adoption. And Evan was so blessed. There were some wonderful parents who chose him. And he said, you know, 
they told me early on that I was adopted and that of all the children in the world, they chose me. He said, I was very blessed to have a wonderful mom and dad, to grow up in a wonderful family. And so he grew up and he went to medical school and he went to, the, he went to Duke University and from there he, he did his residency at Massachusetts General Hospital and then he did some work at Harvard. He found he was loving the academics as well as doing the surgery. But he also found himself kind of in an interesting crisis of faith. He said, you know, I'd grown up in church and I believed in God. But once you become a scientist and you're focusing on all these things you can count and measure, well, it kind of seemed to push God back in the corner more and more. He said, I found I was going to church on Easter and Christmas and any other time the family could drag me to church, but it's not because I didn't believe in God. It just didn't seem to make sense anymore. He said, I was so committed to science. But as he was also struggling with that, he also, as an adult, now that he was married and had a couple kids, found that he really did want to go meet his biological parents. He wanted to get to know them. And because of the rules in the state where he grew up, that was incredibly hard. It took 10 years of searching and working before finally he was able to hunt down his biological parents and he was able to meet them. And what he discovered was that his mom and his dad, they graduated high school, they graduated college, And then they got married. They'd gone on to have three other children, two girls and a boy. He had three siblings. And it turned out that the only sad thing was, two years before now, his youngest sister Betsy had died. And he had never gotten to know her. Well, he was thrilled to now be reconciled with his family, to know them. But before he had a chance really to get to know them well and things to go forward, no, in the end, he had a horrible thing happen to him. Evan Alexander wound up going from a healthy man one day to having a spontaneous attack of E. coli bacterial meningitis. The the opportunities for that to happen are like one out of 10 million. One out of 10 million. But it happened to him, and he suddenly went from a healthy man into having convulsions and into a coma. They had him on life support. They said that the chances of him surviving were almost nil, and if he did survive, he would be a vegetable. Seven days he was in this coma. They finally decided it was time to pull the plug to take him off all life support, and on that very day is the day that he suddenly opened his eyes, and he spoke, and he came back. Within two months, he had full cognitive ability, speech, motor movements, back ready for surgery. It was an incredible miracle. But what really meant a lot to Eben was not the medical miracle, but what happened while he was in this coma. While he was in this coma, he had himself a near-death experience, an out-of-the-body experience. He said he felt he was being drawn into another world where he felt the presence of God. He said, I didn't ever see God, but you knew the presence of God. Everything was so beautiful. Everything was different. And he said, I kept getting this message. Do you understand how you are loved unconditionally? Do you understand the mercy of God? Do you understand that you are forgiven? God is not counting the things you have done wrong. Do you understand how interconnected we all are? 
He said he had a guide. There was a, a person who seemed to be there to help guide him through these experiences and what can no longer other be described as heaven. He said it was a, a woman. She had beautiful blonde hair. She had this very warm smile. She had these piercing blue eyes. And he said, somehow I just felt connected to her. I felt at peace with her. And she was the one who would guide me through these experiences. And she told him, you're going to go back. And then he came back. And Emin Alexander says, you know, you have this kind of experience and you come back. And he said, I, I was back on earth and I was back to myself. And all I could think was, wow, it was real. All these things I've dismissed through all of these years, it was real. And he said he started talking to friends and colleagues and saying, I got to tell you what happened and how I came into the presence of God and I got to tell you. And of course, you can imagine how they reacted. Evan, you're losing it. Evan, you're out of your mind. Evan, it was a dream. And he said, about four months had gone by and I found myself starting to ask myself, was it real or was it a dream? He said, I started questioning myself. I mean, it all seemed so real. It was so powerful, but was it a dream? And then after four months, he got a gift from his sister Kathy. You see, before all this had happened, right up before that, he had asked Kathy, his biological sister, send me a picture of Betsy. I'd really like to see what my sister looked like. Four months later, she finally got around to it. The package arrived. He opened the package and he saw the painting or the picture of his sister. And immediately he knew. She was a beautiful lady with blonde hair and a warm smile and piercing blue eyes. He had already met his sister. In heaven. For heaven, he knew it's real. The surprise of Easter. The surprise message of Easter is that from the beginning, you and I were made in the image of God. We were made for goodness. And it's why you and I experience the gift of God's mercy, His love, and His forgiveness. And when we share it through life, we feel alive and whole. But it's also why you and I have that hunger. That hunger to be reunited with God and the kingdom of heaven and with those that we love. Because even though we may not understand, we know it is real. Because the message of Easter the surprise, good news, the least thing they ever expected to hear. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.